Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's listening to this asynchronously. Uh, it's nice to be back in the Rashi rhythm. Um, I have a, the last thing we did was chapter 8, verse 24, including uh, verse 24. There was no Rashi on that. I also had a note to myself that I wanted to go back one verse and look at a chizkuni with you on, cha- on verse 23. So we're going to linger for a few minutes on 23 and 24 of chapter 8, uh, even though we finished it, before we move on to verse uh, 25, okay? So chapter 8, verse 23, let me just remind us what's going on here. This is... Uh, the negotiation between Paro and Moshe on the plague of Arov, which is the plague, the single plague about which we have the least amount of clarity as to what it actually is. Rashi uh, reads it through the whole way that it's wild beasts. Um, and, um, you know, there's a negotiation about what it's going to take for God to remove it. And Moshe says, we want to go out a couple of days and give a, uh, a sacrifice to our um, our God, and how could we possibly do that in town? Because if we do it in town, it's going to be considered some kind of a uh, an abomination to the Egyptians for us to do it. Or the other uh, interpretation, we might be um, uh, sacrificing that which is holy to the Egyptians, and, and how would they not stone us? That's verse 22. Verse 23, this is a continuation of what Moshe is saying to back to Pharaoh. Derech shloshet yamim nelech bamidbar. We're going to go a, a, a three days journey into the wilderness. We will sacrifice to Adonai our God, as God um, asked us to do. And on that verse, I'll put this on the screen. Uh, and again, we already did this verse, but I wanted to go back. Chizkuni says something interesting. Uh, let me find it on my screen. Okay. Um, I'm out of practice here, just with all the things I need to click. Oh, good. Thanks, Hector. Yeah. Okay, so if you look at the screen... There's, there's waiting room. Oh, there's waiting room? Uh, all right, all right, all right. Okay. Uh, yes, welcome to those who just joined on Zoom, to Bobby and to Renee. So, uh, look what Chis Cooney says... Um, I guess someone else has to, can you somehow move that the bar on the screen to the bottom? Go up to the very top and click on the one that looks like a thick tap toe board. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is Chizkuni on verse twenty-three on on <clears throat> Moshe saying to Pharaoh, "What we want to do is go and sacrifice for three days." and the reason why I think Chizkuni is motivated to say what he's about to say is that we know that the ultimate goal is not for them to go out for three days and sacrifice to God, but to flee, right? And, and we don't want to imagine Moshe as a prevaricator, right? We want Moshe, even in his negotiation with Pharaoh, to be able to say things that, have, that are plausibly true. That's my understanding of the motivation for Chizkuni here. Look what he says. Shekain, because after all, Bayom Hasheni, on the second day, on the second day of what? Of the actual eventual Exodus, Chanu Bitchilat Hamidbar. 
they uh, encamped at the beginning, the edge of the desert, as it says, that they um, journeyed from Sukkot and they encamped at the edge of the desert, which means in the beginning of the desert. And if you look at that verse in context, oops, here, right? So this is, this is actually several chapters later, chapter 13 of Shemot, if you, you have it in your own book, if you want to look, chapter 13, verse 19 and 20. This is the, the, the actual telling of Exodus. Um, actually, if we go back to verse 18, via save Elohim et ta'am, it's still being shared, yeah? Um, that God brought the, the nation roundabout, derech hamidbar, towards the desert, uh, the wilderness of Yamsuf, v'chamushim alu b'nei Israel b'nei Mitzrayim, they left um, armed. V'yikach Moshe atatzmot Yosef imo, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, why? He had, um, Joseph had forced the children of Israel to swear, God will eventually remember you, and you're going to bring my bones with you. And then we have the information, they set out from Sukkot, they encamped Eitam, Look what Chizkuni says there on the right side of the screen up there. By Yisuma Sukkot, they journeyed from Sukkot on the second day, and they camped at the edge of the desert. And the implication that Chizkuni is saying in our verse is, and what did they do when they got up on the third day? Made a sacrifice. Made a sacrifice, exactly as, as he said they were going to do, right? So yes, of course, after that, they intended not to go back to Egypt, but to keep going. But I believe Chizkuni is saying in our verse, lest you think that Moshe was saying an outright lie to, Moshe, to, to Pharaoh, when Moshe said, for three days we're going to go in the wilderness, and we're going to sacrifice our God. That's exactly what they planned to do. Okay, he didn't mention that on the day after the sacrifice, they're going to keep going in the same direction, going back into the land of Canaan. Um, and this is, you know, kind of a classic, both Talmudic and medieval style to do anything possible to make the most implausible or um, hard to defend words uttered by our ancestors work in some moral realm. Yeah. Uh, microphone, Elon. So I'm curious as to why the aversion in this spot to telling a lie to achieve a goal when you certainly have, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau and other examples where, uh, you know, Jacob and Laban, where, where there were lies told and why here is it so objectionable, but you know, where as you would say, okay, he told a lie for a good reason. There's nothing at the other places, maybe particularly Jacob and Esau, he told the lie for maybe not a good reason. Right. Yeah. So, why is it so objectionable here that they would go out of their way to try to justify it? My instinct, Elon, is not that it's so objectionable that he would have told a lie. It's that layered and threaded through our tradition and speaking to us in real moments like today is that even when facing a tyrant, we hold ourselves to high standards, right? That, that, even, that even when, when Moshe is speaking to Pharaoh, Moshe don't become a Pharaoh. Right when Moshe is, is when when Moshe is defeating an enemy, 
somehow, even in the words we use, and this is a fantasy, right? But we want to imagine Moshe, our first leader, as holding himself to a layer of truth, even in those moments. And yes, even though ya- Yaakov was a deceiver, I mean, that's what I spoke about on Shabbat, right? Yaakov was a deceiver, and Yaakov was someone who was embarrassed by his son's militants, right? And, and, and it's both, right? We're, we're both the Moshe who would do anything to get the Jews out of Egypt, and we're the Moshe in Chizkuni's fantasy who says, I probably shouldn't tell it a lie because my words should have truth to them. It's my guess, right? Barry and then uh, Larry. Microphone, Barry. Well, just there's a, a slight out uh, in in the text is um, the, the sacrifice to Adonai our God, Kasher Yomar Alenu, in the manner that He God will tell us. Uh, it, it's a kind of an out there. So yeah, we're gonna we don't know what's gonna happen next, but God will tell us. Yeah. Yes, Larry. I have kind of a different perspective here. It's motivated by the alternative translation in the JPS, but also in Arya Kaplan, where he says, what we must do is make a three-day journey. It doesn't say we're going to go. He says we, we have to, and so does JPS. So if you look back at the beginning of this negotiation, that's what it is. It's a negotiation. Yeah, I'm listening. I just poured coffee on myself. Ooh, and I don't... And I don't want to make too much of it, but we can think of negotiations taking place even today between adversaries and the lack of transparency and the lack of, of, of honesty. But if you want to grant Moses <clears throat> a sincerity in his arguments, the argument's clear, and the argument is we don't want to offend you with our sacrifices, so what we must do is get far enough away from you that there's no chance that any Egyptian would be offended, and that is three days' journey. Yeah, I, I actually think that that works too, and I guess if I could animate my suspicion of what Chizkuni would say is that, the, that um, Pharaoh might be hearing, all we want to do, Pharaoh, is to go three days out make the sacrifice and come back. And since we know that that's not all they want to do, we have to somehow make it okay, that what make it true that what Moshe said they were going to do, they actually ended up doing. It, was, it's, it may be the truth, but not the, full, not, not the whole truth. The truth, but not the whole truth, right? Um, I think that in the context of, of, of the story, your interpretation is, makes sense as well, right? That, that we, we, we really don't want to do this in your presence, Parentheses, what I'm not telling you is that what we, we want to get out, make the sacrifice, and then keep going, but the, we want to get at least three days away so that we're not going to further insult you and further endanger us by rousing up the, the locals. Norm? You need a microphone, Norm. Uh, I want to address the issue of calling this a negotiation between Pharaoh and Moshe, because in this case, I don't think Moshe is acting as an independent leader. He hasn't been acknowledged by anyone other than perhaps Pharaoh to be the leader of the Jewish people yet. Really what we have, or of the Israelites, really what we have is Moshe being more like an emissary of HaKadosh Boruchu. And the negotiation is between Pharaoh and HaKadosh Boruchu, except of course HaKadosh Boruchu isn't talking directly with Pharaoh. He has to deal with Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe isn't going to be able to say, yes, this is acceptable. No, this isn't acceptable. All he can do is say, I'll go check with God and see what he has to say. 
My response to that is maybe, right? It depends on what you imagine happens in between the verses of the of the Torah, which is where all of Midrash begins, because we don't have Moshe going back to God, at least explicit in the text, in between every sentence articulated by Pharaoh, right? So, so the maybe, maybe that's the case, or maybe we're seeing the emergence of a of a leader who is both dispatched by God, but then has a certain amount of agency. You know? When Secretary Lincoln meets with the leader of one foreign country or another, or whoever else he meets with, he obviously does not check back with the president between every sentence. Right. But he's there as a representative of the United States and of the president. Yeah. And he doesn't have carte blanche. Yeah. Um, and so he periodically, I'm sure, does check back or confirm, or at least claim to be doing so. Yes. Um, and uh, so it goes. Good. That's what I wanted to share with you on 23. We also had read verse 24 last time, um, and I wanted to share an Ibn Ezra on that before we actually got to new material. Okay? Um, so verse 24, which again we did read, by Omer Paro, Pharaoh said in response to this, whether we read it Chizkuni's way or Larry Herman's way, um, he said, Anochi ashalachem, okay, I'm going to relent. I will, dis- I will send you. And I will dispatch you on the terms that you described to me. You're gonna, you, you will slaughter to Adonai your God, Bamidbar, in the wilderness. But do not um, overly uh, distance yourself, right? Which is it's unclear in the Peshat is Pharaoh saying, I accept that you're going to go out three days, but don't go out farther than that. Or is he saying, you can go, but don't go out three days, unclear. Just says, don't very much distance yourself. Ha'atiru ba'adi, plead on my behalf. We've seen that route before. Uh, We saw it a few weeks ago in Parshat uh, Toldot. This is when Yitzchak prays on behalf of Rivka that she become pregnant by Yetar Alarnai, and then Lenochach Ishto, on behalf of his wife. Okay, plead on my behalf. Uh, how does, yeah, Uncleus translates this as Tsalu, uh, Tsadi Lamed Yud in Aramaic is pray. You know that from the full Kaddish. Tit Kabel Tslot Hon Uvauton, that hard to pronounce Aramaic word. May it be received, Tit Kabel Tslot Hon, our Tsalim, our prayers. It's just, that's the Aramaic word for prayer. So, um, uh, basically, Uncleus is not translating it any differently than had it been the word lead Paleo. Okay. Um, when we read that verse, Rashi is quiet on that verse. Um, I don't actually remember, because it's several weeks ago, anything that we raised on this verse. So let's pretend that we're going to do it for the first time. As you read that verse, what jumps to mind as a worthy question? Maybe you'll anticipate Ibn Ezra's question. Norm? Microphone? Microphone. Oh. It might be better to take it off the stands. What? Take the microphone off the stands. It's easier to pass. At the end, when Pharaoh says, pray for me, the question is, go and pray that this shall be acceptable, that you're not going to go very far away and that you're going to come back. Or does it mean he wants, in general, a blessing from the Holy One? Right. The question is, what the hell does Hatirubadi mean here? Right. Forget about the theology of it. 
like because the theology of it is suggesting that Pharaoh is believing that their God is worth praying to. That's interesting in and of itself. But even just on a plot level, what is Pharaoh asking Moshe to pray for, right? And, and why does it appear where it appears in the verse, right? So that's exactly what Ibn Ezra gets at. So I'll share this one as well. Okay, so this is Ibn Ezra. It's on the screen on, on, ver, on uh, 824. Milat ha'atiru, the word, quote, ha'atiru, which is the word for entreat, ha'atiru uh, badi, entreat on my behalf, ha'ita re'uya lahakdim, should have come first. In other words, Ibn Ezra saying, the verse should have said, Bayomer paro, Pharaoh said, ha'atiru badi, Pray on my behalf. Dot, dot, dot. Anochi eshalachachem. And then I will let you go. Right? Ibn Ezra says more. Ki hatam ha'atiru badi. The reason why I want you to pray on my behalf. Vitasur zohamaka. Is so that you pray to remove these darn aroves, whether they're, in, you know, insects or wild beasts. Va'arza shalachachem. And then I will send you. Lizboach b'midbar. To sacrifice in the desert. Kasher amartem. As you said. Rock al-tnai, I'm only going to let you go, al-tnai, on the condition, shalot that you do not go farther than whatever, yoter more than three days. So Ibn Ezra's reading the, that Pharaoh's saying, don't go very far, is basically agreeing to Moshe's three-day, not fighting with it, right? In other words, Ibn Ezra says, to say pray for me at the end seems odd. It's as if, it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's as if, our God is Pharaoh's God, and Pharaoh's saying to Moshe, oh, by the way, when you have an audience with God, pray for me. Right? It's not, it can't be that. It's got to be, go pray on my behalf that God remove these infernal arov, and if God does, sure, I'll let you go, but only in that condition. It's an interesting reordering of the verse. Larry? Microphone? Ibn Ezra is great, but I think he misses it here. Okay. I think that Alter has something but doesn't complete it here. Alter translates this phrase, this verse as, and Pharaoh said, I myself will send you off. So Pharaoh is physically, personally, himself sending Moses and, or offering to send Moses and Ben Israel out into the desert and then at the end of the phrase, he comes back to himself, so plead for me on my behalf. Not the Egyptian people's Hold on one second. You can close it, but you have to tell someone to turn the heat off in here. It's an oven. Well, you can close it, but then you get them to turn the heat off. Not, the, not the Egyptian people's behalf, on his behalf. So the, the me and the me at the beginning of the end, is a, I forget what you call it in poetry, you know. Two chiasm? Things. Yeah, something like chiasm, right? And it's in, it's in closing what it is that, 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 that he's asking Moses to do, but it's very personal. It's for Pharaoh himself. <clears throat> Explain again then why Hatirubadi deserves to be at the end in that, according to that reading. Because, he's, because it starts off Pharaoh saying, this is a personal favor I'm going to be asking. This is something I'm doing personally because mm -hmm. I'm personally sending you off and I'm surprised that none of the other translations actually catch that. Alter does. As opposed to what? 
is I'll let you go. It says, Anochi, I, Ashalach. Is it lach? Yeah. Ashalach. Uh -huh. he, didn't, didn't, he didn't have to say Anochi. That's em emphasizing, uh -huh. I am me. It's me, Pharaoh, who is going to. Now, Alter translates it as, I'm going to send you off. Which is, which is a fine translation for Ashalach. But otherwise, you could have said Ashalach. You mean without the pronoun? Yeah, with, without the Anochi. But who else would be? I'm, I'm, I get that, but yeah, I'm but saying... What, so who? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to flip it back to you. Okay. Why does it have to be Anochi? Why isn't it simply Vyomer Paro? Ashalach uh -huh. I'm sending you off. So, but the emphasis is, it's Pharaoh himself. And uh -huh. as I say, Alter says that he's actually physically sending them off. He's going to uh -huh. stand there at the edge of the, of the desert and wave goodbye to them as they go. And he's saying, but take, but take that with you. Take my personal plead with you <laughs> hands are up so in other words since i'm i'm personally doing this at the end i'm going to say and come on just pray for me then right and that's and that's and therefore it works as a coda to the verse yeah he doesn't say it i found a word he doesn't say at the end remove the plague he says plead for me it's it. kind of peculiar um there have never been more hands up in this room simultaneously <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> All right, and guess whose hand was up first? Rick on the Zoom. So, Rick, you go first. Thank you, Rabbi. That's very nice. Um, everything that Larry... Uh, nice can hall. you hear me? Can you hear me? Um, <laughs> well, you could have done all the hands in the room first, but thank you. So, everything Larry just said, I wanted to say. So, there you go. The Anochi has the Gershayim on it. Yeah, Anochi isn't needed there. But it's all about I. It's all about him. He's narcissistic, all that kind of thing. So it's the ego. And Ba'adi, he doesn't say entreat for my people because they're suffering so well. He says entreat for me. It's the Ba'adi. It's the Siluk. It's all about me. Um, and um, um, he's thinking, okay, Go ahead and pray to your gods, but you better pray for me too, because I'm of the gods. I'm a god, and um, it's it's not about the people; it's all about him. Mm. So thanks, Rick. Let's go around, and then class will be over. Uh, <laughs> Diane. So I don't understand why suddenly he should want God to remove this plague. God hasn't. I mean, God has removed the other ones without Pharaoh asking for it, and presumably. At Moshe's word, God's going to do that anyway. So why suddenly is prayer needed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I, I, I think Ibn, Ibn Ezra sort of asking the same question. His, his answer is circular. Prayer is needed because Pharaoh wants to be sure that these plagues are going to be removed before he sets them free. But it's a situation where I think your question is better than his answer. Rebecca? I think that perhaps having the entreat for me at the end shows Pharaoh's perception that the prayer to God is somehow tied to this sacrifice and that whole ceremony, the sacrificing has to come first and then Moshe will be able to pray to God. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's exactly the read that Ibn Ezra doesn't want to accept. But I, th but I think you're right to name that, that if you don't invert it, then you have Pharaoh saying, when you're out there davening, include me in your Amidah, right? And for some reason, Ibn Ezra does not want that image. Ibn Ezra wants the image of, go pray for me 
so that these things will be removed and then go do your silly sacrifice out in the desert, right? But I think as it stands, it seems like Pharaoh is saying, maybe your God is worthy of, of praying and go and go, you know, throw in a good word for me too. Yeah, I think, I think that is what the, what the shot of the text invites us to read and Ibn Ezra was uncomfortable with it. Why? I don't know. But I mean that the sacrifice comes first and it's a precursor then to be able to pray yes. because you've sacrificed. Correct. Um, who is next on the table? Rachel? Rebecca just said what I wanted to say. Okay. Who's next? Alan. Yeah. Following up on what uh, Rick said about the choice of the word anochi and Pharaoh being, you know, narcissistic and what's taking place. Anochi instead of instead of ani. Why anochi? That's the word for divinity. That what God says when we have the aseret hadibrot. It's anochi, and so the choice of the words may be exactly that. That anochi is here to show that Pharaoh views himself as like God, and he's focusing on himself, and therefore he wants to have the blessings for him too. Meaning it's not just that a pronoun was used when you don't need a pronoun in future tense Hebrew, but that the pronoun that was used anochi and not ani. It's it's like it's it's a it's a big pronoun. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. The royal anochi. Yes. Uh, that isn't that like a cruise ship, the royal anochi. Um, Marshall, did you have your hand up? Barry. So a, a bit of a, a twist here. Um, the phrase lo takiku lo laket don't go too far away is juxtaposed with the hatiru uh, um stay within the sphere that uh, I have my uh, uh, authority so that uh, your prayer will protect my rulership here go beyond that and I will not be protected so don't go too far away stay within my sphere hmm. and and put in the word because uh, to to protect my rulership hmm. interesting good um, Rick is your hand up again or still wait there again please um since Ibn Ezra brought up the actual Exodus, uh, I went over there. The last time Pharaoh says anything to Moses, uh, at the, the last word is, Gam Oti, bless me. Again, he, this is uh, chapter 12, 32. So he doesn't say, bless my people, they've been suffering so long. <laughs> he, the last word he said is, Oti, it's all about me. <laughs> So yeah, and if you everyone look at that very very good um, association, Rick. Everyone look at chapter twelve, verse thirty-two. If you all have the book of Exodus, so you I don't have to put it up on the screen. In the moment of Exodus, so it's the last thing he says. Yeah, and I, in fact, this verse could be used as a proof text against Ibn Ezra's read. Um. Starting in verse 31, Vayikra Moshe Ulaharon, Pharaoh called to Moses Aaron, Laila, in the middle of the night, Vayomer, said, Kumutz Umitochami, get the hell out of here. Gamatem Gambane Israel, you and your people. Ulahu, go, 
Go worship your God, as you've been saying. Take your sheep. Take your cattle. As you said in Gan, There's no way that Ibn Ezra could say there that go pray to, re- to remove. You can't remove a tenth plague. It's the thing. It's one thing that can't be undone, right? Here, at the end, you have a pharaoh saying, "I, I yield. I submit." And while you're in relationship with your higher power, put in a good word for me. For some reason, Ibn Ezra does not want to read that that sense in in our verse. But very good, Rick. It's 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 undeniable that that's the sense in this verse. Alan, yeah, microphone. <laughs> just briefly at the Rashi about why he says it right here about pray for me because it's pray for me because I'm a firstborn. And so he wanted to make sure that he didn't die as a result of what was taking place. Well, that's what Rashi says on that verse? Yeah. He's Interesting. Yeah. He's the firstborn. Yeah. Tova, is your hand up? I'm thinking. I know a lot of what I'm going to say has been said. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Larry. This is a question for you. Can you give a translation that's not, not here? Of the phrase "rak harchek lo tarhiku," the so, doubling of the uh, verb right. there so is the, interesting. The doubling of a verb in biblical Hebrew is almost always in the positive, not the negative. Right? In old translations, you know that's where the word "verily" comes in. Yeah. If you will verily listen, right? right. It's an intensifier. Yes. So it's harder to do it in English to intensify it negatively, right? Um, you know, pl- please don't, surely don't, don't you dare, like, whatever you do, don't go, don't, don't go, don't, don't dare go far, I, I, I beg you not to go far, I, I forbid you from going farther, but it's, it's a bigger version of, it's a bigger finger wagging than lotarchiku, it's harcheik lotarchiku, in, in, in Hebrew slang used in Arabic, you would say dirbalak, like, like, no, like, don't you dare. Something like that. Leonard, and then Tova? You could say, don't go far, far away. Uh, you could, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Tova. Uh, first, could you um, explain a little bit about uh, Hatiru? Uh, what precisely is, I, I have the translation in treat, but what is that? So to the, ask, ask for benefits on my behalf? We, or? We, we know it from context, right? So I'll put on the screen the first time the root appears in the Torah. Uh, it's Parshat. We had it a few weeks ago, Parshat uh, Toldot. Um, second. Let me put this on the screen. Um, Okay, so if you look at the screen, beginning of Parshat Toldot. Um, verse 21. Vayetar Yitzchak Ladonai Lenochach Ishto. Yitzchak atard God on behalf of his wife. It's translated here as entreat. It's pray. It's, pr- it's pray that you get a specific response. And it's interesting, later on the verse, you see, you see atar in the, in the direct um, pal form, and then the nifal, to be entreated, uh, ki akarahi, for she was barren, vaye ater lo adonai, 
which is a way of saying God was successfully entreated, meaning the prayer worked. God responded to the entreaty. Is the English word entreaty the entreat the exact proper uh, um, way of rendering atar? I'm not sure. I'll show you how, what BDB. Does. By the way, what the, what, there are several online places where BDB exists, and one of them has just closed down, and I'm very upset, upset by it because that one was much easier to use than. Um, hmm. um, uh, Sfaria. So Atar. Uh, to pray to supplicate. Interest, uh, interesting. In, in the BDB it says always to God. It's never to ask a king of something. It's always uh, to pr pray to God um, from an Arabic word that meant to slaughter for sacrifice. And yes, to in the Nifal, to be supplicated, to be entreated, Always of God. Okay, yeah, I, I trying to shape the the thought I had, but it, it's I'm wondering if what it could represent is with the kind of uh, arrogance he's showing with the anochi, uh, the emphasis on I have this power and I'm going to exert it, but I'm setting these limitations on you. If that final thing could be better understood as as in our history we have been forced to call for blessings on Caesar. I'm going to exert my power and allow you to do this, but you are going to bless me or bring something good for me while you're at it. Interesting. You know? Right. So I think what you're introducing is it's possible to read Ha'atiru Ba'adi as abject humility. I submit and I need God's help or the opposite. The opposite. Right. And that because of the Anohi, yeah. you know, that it brings more with that. Uh, Very nice. God to God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joanna. By the way, can I say something before Joanna talks? <laughs> We're going to meet Joanna in person in January. She's coming to Colt Fila. And she's going to become three-dimensional, and we're so excited that you're going to be within the... So every one of you better come to the... Hey! <laughs> I'm so, so excited. Um, right. Okay. Um, so I'm noticing, um, like, you know, if you think of, like, when your kids want something for, from you, like, when my kids were overly solicitous and did like so many great things after dinner and they cleared the table without asking and they did the laundry without asking, I knew in my head I can't that there was to that. something. Sorry, I, 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 it's, like, it's like you're speaking gibberish. <laughs> um, right. So that's that's why the good stuff proceeds, because I'm going to do all these good things. And now here's my request. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing there's a very similar structure in this. And what's coming up, I just lost the verse. Um, hold on one second. There's a verse right here somewhere. Why don't I see it now? I just had it. Where Moses says that, um, he says, um, Oh, now I lost. Sorry, come back to me. I just lost it. Okay. I just lost While it. While you're looking for it, I had been meaning to say um, before we started the class today, anyone around the table read the book, The Aleppo Codex, Maddie Friedman's, okay. uh, I'm, I'm almost finished with it. It's, it's a fascinating book. It reads like a spy novel, but it's real. Maddie Friedman is a Canadian Israeli journalist. He's done a lot of really good writing recently about uh, on this situation in Israel. Um, he's also at the core, just like a curious journalist. And he wrote a book about one of the more famous 
versions of the Bible ever written. It was literally like the actual book was the book that Maimonides had as his guide when he was studying Torah, right? It's that old and that venerable. And then it lived in Aleppo for like 600 years. And then uh, what happened to the Syrian Jewish community after the declaration of the state of Israel, right? Instantly, all those Jewish communities became uh, endangered. And there is a whole, like involves the Mossad and it involves like early Zionist organizations and disagreements between rabbis and sages about how that book did or did not make its way all out of Aleppo into Israel. It's fascinating. Um, the reason I bring it up is that when it arrived in the, at the Ben Svi Institute, Yitzhak Ben Svi was the first, second president of Israel. When it arrived at his institute, because he was a scholar of ancient texts, it was somewhat missing. And there's been an 80 year um, like search for the missing fragments. And there's one scene in the book where someone in Brooklyn shows like in their wallet uh, in like wrapped in cellophane, a fragment of the Aleppo Codex that somehow made it to the Syrian Jewish community Aleppo. And the fragment was from this chapter. Um, and I was so interested, I, and as, as it's describing the words, I'm like, oh, we're, we're studying that in Rashi right now. It's from, you know, it'd be on, on your houses and in your storehouses, blah, blah. So um, uh, that, uh, this piece of the Aleppo Codex is sitting on someone's wallet in, in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, have you found it, Joanna? No, and I have to leave. I have to go back to teaching. So okay. somehow I lost my thought and to be continued. Okay. Teach well, Joanna. Okay. Let's... Can we go to verse 24, which is verse 25, which is where we actually were? Yes. Okay. It only took 40 minutes. Okay. Verse 25. So I need a new reader. Joel, do you want to read? Vayom Moshe, hine anochi yotze miyamach, meimach, vehatauti el Adonai, vesar he'arov miparo, even before you translate, everyone can see it's a chunky verse. There are a lot of things to unpack in this verse. To me, Rashi, the one thing Rashi says in the verse is the most picayune little detail that he's um, irritated by. I think we're going to spend much more time in this verse than Rashi seemed to. Okay, so let's see what you can translate. Okay, I have no idea. So Moshe says, um, okay, I, he's, now he's getting back at the Anochi. Okay, you're going <laughs> to Anochi. I'm going to Anochi right back at you. Um, I will um, leave from your, from your um, people. Okay, well, not from your people, from, from your presence. Me'imach is the, oh, the oh. im, right? It, it's, in modern Hebrew, would say me'itcha, right? Um, just pause in the translation, and this is obvious, whom is Moses speaking to? <coughs> Pharaoh, right? Because me'imach, and yes, it should be me'imcha, but in biblical Hebrew, sometimes a, a masculine is represented as an imach, even though it's not, it's not feminizing Pharaoh. Um, so Moses seems to be in the scene with Pharaoh speaking directly to him. Go ahead. Um, and I will entreat, or... Yeah, that's the same word. Yep, I will same. treat to God, mm -hmm. and I will, um, I will dispel. I will get away. I'll get the arov, whatever that is. What's the subject of the verb vistar? It's un he, he will he. So 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 it's a singular masculine subject with no pronoun. 
presumably referring to God. So I will entreat God sort of like who will, the God who will remove the Arov. Or to remove. Right. Um, from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Right. What's interesting there? Which comes first? What else is interesting? <laughs> that he includes the people. What else is interesting? That's only the Arov. Well, that's the that's the plague that's hanging out right now. What else is interesting? It's the same thing. It's interesting is as Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Melcholam Asher Kedushan Mitzvotav Vitzivanu. What's interesting about the structure of every blessing that we speak to God in the second person and then refer to God in the third person? Right? Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments. Forget about, the, forget about the gendering of it for a second, right? We go from second person to third person in every blessing we say for a mitzvah. If we, if we plotted this scene, Moses is speaking to God, sorry, to Pharaoh, and said, I'm going to leave from your presence, and I will entreat God who will remove the rov from Pharaoh and from Pharaoh's servants and from his people. And if it was just third person, you could imagine, well, maybe that's kind of a... Um, the language of nobility that you like, you sometimes like, like her majesty, right? You sometimes refer to a royal in the third person, but it's interesting. It's a second person and third person in the same sentence, right? right? One second, Rick, I see your hand. Keep translating. Um, tomorrow, just don't Yosef Paro. Don't, <laughs> don't become a Yosef. <laughs> what does Yosef mean? It says here, be deceitful, but I don't know what that means. Uh, that's the translation of Hatel. What does lahosif mean? To add. To add. Don't don't be uh, unnecessarily. Don't don't add on to your hatel. Whatever the word hatel means, it's translated here as deceitful. We'll spend some time on that, right? And, and if you look at um, look at the uncleus, uncleus translates hatel as leshakara, shaker, to lie. Okay. Um, I don't know what levilti is. Levilti is a really interesting. Uh, Hebrew word usually Hebrew is simpler than English and sometimes it's more complex. Yeah. It, it means without or to not or 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 it's it's like a like built in pas means something you can't possibly comprehend. Like neat pas is something you can you can catch. Built means uncatchable. It's like un almost oh, means un. So if, if if I get rid of What's that? By not, here it's by not, by not letting. Yeah. By not or or so or or or, yeah, it's something like by not or don't don't be a hotel like person such that you will make the decision not to. Go ahead. So if I get rid of the arrow, don't go back on your word and not send the people to to um, slaughter to their gods. To... Say that again. If I if I get rid of the arov, then don't go back on your word. Correct, exactly right. Right. So I'll tose al Yosef paro hatel. Let Pharaoh not be a, a, a liar or someone who will deceive deceitfully. In that you will eventually not send the people to go sacrifice the god, which is what you've agreed to do. Okay. Uh, questions, comments on the verse itself. I saw Rick's hand first. Yeah, he is. Rick, you should you should be on Jeopardy. It's like the Ken Jennings of the Rashi class. <laughs> just the just the trope again. Um, 
the Kadmavia's law. It's very dramatic. So again, Joel picked up on it that the Anochi of Pharaoh, um, Moses gives it right back to him. Yeah, I, and um, and then he's going to go forward. And then I was going to say about the Yosef, I, I liked, uh, they could have chosen other words besides Yosef, but here he is um, mentioned before Pharaoh. I just thought that was interesting there, but mainly the trope. Oh, I see. Like that, there could have been other Hebrew words to suggest. Don't increase your your lying. That doesn't bring back Yosef. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yes. Nice. Okay. Yes. Uh, Norm. In the way that Joel translated and you translated, you sort of have Moshe switching to the second person in the latter part of the sentence. But I don't think he does that. He is saying he will pray to the Holy One that he should remove the plague and not let and that God should not let Pharaoh change his mind and there's an implied threat to Pharaoh. He's not asking Pharaoh to not change his mind. He's saying he's going to ask God to not let Pharaoh change his mind. And the implication there is that if Pharaoh does change his mind, there will be further punishment. Can't hear that. Norm, are you su- are you suggesting that you could read the pshat as saying that Moshe is saying, "I'm going to pray to God that God remove the arov, and that you don't de- be deceitful." No, and that with us? God not let Pharaoh change his mind. Uh huh. Change Pharaoh's yeah, yeah. mind. Okay. Interesting. I mean, this is where a language that doesn't have, doesn't use pronouns every place that Americans use pronoun makes it possible to read it several different ways. See Larry's hand? Two things. One is Alter's and one is mine. Alter says, and so he's going to the Hine Enochi Yotse. And says Yotse is not I'm going out, it's, it's, I am leaving. I'll just read what Alter says. Look, I am going out from your presence. There is temporal, temporal urgency in Moses' response as he uses a, partis, a participial verbal form to indicate that he is already on his way to entreat the Lord. The coy game of asking Pharaoh to stipulate a time of deliverance that marked the previous plague is set aside as Pharaoh's own sense of desperation grows. So he's not asking permission. He's not saying, I will go. He says, I'm, a, I'm, I'm going. Because it's present tense. I know you'd say. Yeah. My comment or question is, I'm really confused. Um, because Pharaoh already told Moses that he can go out to sacrifice. He just told him he can't go very far. And here, Moses is saying, but don't act deceitfully again by not letting the people go sacrifice. Hmm. So either something happened in between the verses that I don't know about, or Moses took Pharaoh's limitation on the distance to be a negation of the permission to actually sacrifice. Yeah. And no, does anybody comment on that? Larry, why don't, why don't you say that, okay. Joel. You've, you've told us that you're gonna let us go. Now if I, if I do my part of the deal and get rid of the ROV, don't go back on your deal. 
He's not asking for more. He's just asking you to do what you've said you're going to do. Aha. Okay. Larry said, aha. Okay, for those of you who didn't hear that. One, uh, one Rachel. comment. Ibn Ezra, I think, mentions, and it may be a different comment that I read, that Pharaoh did change his mind after the frogs and that Moshe wants to kind of insist or enlist God's help in seeing that Pharaoh doesn't do that again. Yeah, good. Um, I wanted to clarify one thing I said before or actually add to it before Tova speaks. When Joel was translating and I stopped him on the Sar Ha'arov and I said, who's the subject of Sar? There is um, a divergence of opinions just on the raw grammar of the verse. Some people read that the subject of Sar, the remove, is God, right? I'm going to pray to God and God will remove. Just I'm talking pure grammar. It doesn't change the meaning. Um, and some people believe that the subject of Sar is Ha'arov, that the that the that the arov, however I understand that plague to be, will remove itself because it's unclear if sar is a pa'al or a hefil, and or some verbs are causative even if they're not in a causative form. So it doesn't change the meaning of it. But I, but you might come up upon a translation. In fact, um, that's what your translation says. Yeah, I think Corin translates it that way. Uh, um, yeah, Corin says. Um, Moshe said, behold, I go out from thee and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of gnats may depart, right? That the, as if the grammatical subject of the verb sar is the gnats. He says it as gnats, not as wild beasts. So just wanted to clarify that. Tova, let's get Tova microphone. Uh, this, I feel like this is off subject, but it just suddenly jumped out at me and I've been trying to figure it out. It just struck me that in this exchange, Moshe is using Yudhe to describe God, mm. which and and which he does. I was just glancing back. He mm-hmm. does that regularly, uh, though he also uses Elohei. But it just struck me that Pharaoh answers back using Yudhe mm-hmm. and it hadn't hit me because we say we, we read it as Adonai. Mm. But um, is. I don't know why. It's, it's just striking me as that the name we disguise by saying Adonai, and yet here it is being bandied back and forth. Is this just looking back historically? The custom was different. Uh, it's also I, our version of the story, It's right? our version of the story. So it's, it's and if I look back, maybe it's frequently happened before. I was trying to glance back, and Yudhe yeah. is used, but I can't find one yet where it's used by Pharaoh. Right. In our, <laughs> in our theological idiom, it is interesting to imagine Pharaoh as not saying, go pray to your divinity, yeah. Yeah. but go pray to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You'd have a, I mean, nice. Intimacy almost. Right, it, right. That's... Or an acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Diane and then Norm. So I was just struck by the fact that Moshe talks about Paro as opposed to addressing him directly as you. Mm. Right. I mean, that's what's... That's, we, Right, that it's it's both in the verse, right? There's the you in Ani Anochiyotse Meimach, I'm departing from you. Right. And then switches to this the third person. It, right. It's it's 
in some ways it's deferential, right? Potentially. Right. And, and I'm thinking about how with our granddaughter, for a long time, we addressed her by her name as a and she was addressing to try and make the switch to you was hard for her yeah. and I the pronoun thing so yeah we're um, we've loved the show the crown we're in that in the last season right now and when you spend time you know in whether a fictionalized or non-fictionalized version of British royalty your brain does start to think about what it actually means when you're in someone's presence and referring to that person as her royal highness. Like, how, how, how did that happen linguistically? Forget about culturally, just linguistically, what it means to say, um, uh, yes, uh, her, 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 her teacher's wisdom uh, was so impressive here. But I'm speaking to you. Like, it's, it's a weird thing. But that's, it's not, I know there's a couple of languages. Hold on. Sorry. There's a couple of languages, including Danish where the way you form the, the formal you, which is not used very much anymore, but it used to be, is actually you use third person. So, uh -huh. I mean, if there was actually two layers, there was a formal you, but I know when my parents were there, if they were speaking of a professor, a teacher at school, they would refer to him as Herr Professor in the third person, when but they even when they were speaking to, to them. Right. Yes. Right. So right. It's, it's a version of, even more right. distancing version of a uh, formal. Right, right. And there are a lot of languages that have two versions of the second person, right? Two and vu. But I don't think that there's any aspect of the French vu, which is third person-y. It's just more formal second person. You're saying that in Danish, there's a version of the formal second person, which is third person-y. Yes. Interesting. And in Portuguese, you use the name. What Larry said is that in Portuguese, you use the name. You use the, in Portuguese, you actually use the name. Right. And that was really weird for me when I was learning Portuguese because right. people would be looking at me and they would say, Senior Larry. Right. It was like, I'm here. Right. Right. Sue? I think we have it in Hebrew a bit when we say Kvod HaRav yeah. in that same way. Yes. Right. Kvod HaRav literally means the, the honor of the rabbi. You sometimes will say that um, to a rabbi. Right. And Would I, you like us to do that? Please. And I want, <laughs> I want you to stand. I want you to stand. <laughs> But, but it's true. It's so interesting. When I, um, so I'm in touch with the, the rabbi in Zagreb and the rabbi in Belgrade where we're spending Shabbat on the Balkans trip, and I don't know them. And, uh, and I want to show from the very beginning that I am approaching them with a sense of deference, not, that, not obsequious, but like, so I indeed began my emails to them once I got the address, Kvod Harav. My name is Adam Klingfeld, rabbi in Los Angeles. So I'm referring, referring to him in a third person. Very interesting. Norm? I think Farah's use of the name is much less significant than we might. If we were discussing something with someone who wants to go worship Baal, even though we all know that Baal doesn't exist and has no power, we still would refer to Do him know as that? Baal. <laughs> and we would refer to Ashteret as Ashteret, or Ashteris, uh -huh. more precisely. Um, so, so the fact that they're referring to the name of our God by his name, after all, we read in the Torah, Adonai Shmo, yeah. um, I don't think means that he's acknowledging that this is the God. When he asks to be prayed to on his behalf, maybe there he is. Yeah. But the fact that they're using the name, I just don't think has a huge amount of significance. Alan, and then I want to at least anticipate what Rashi is going to say, even if we don't actually get yeah. there. Just a grammatical question regarding Kavod Harav. 
I've always heard the expression as kibud harav, as respect for the rabbi. You give kibud harav in deference. That's the noun form in kavod is the verb form. Well, what's the difference okay. between kavod harav and kibud harav? Kibud is the gerund of the verb lichabed, which means to honor. So kibud harav could be referred to as the act of giving honor to the act that the gerund, the, 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 the gerund of the verb to give honor. Kavod harav is the smichut of a noun, which is kavod, which means honor. Um, and so it's the honor of the rabbi rather than the verb form of honoring the rabbi. So yes, if you wanted to say that you're doing something because you're respecting the rabbi, you're doing it out of kibud harav. But if you are referring to a rabbi, sometimes in the rabbi's presence with honor, you might use the phrase kvod harav because that's the honor due to that person. So the difference between a noun and a noun form from a verb, um, which in English is sometimes the exact same word. Um, I'm going to share the screen. I just want to show you um, what the verb lahatel means, and then we'll we'll wait for next week for Rashi. Um, okay, so this is BDB on hatel, right? So if you look uh, on the screen, it says VB dot only, right? Uh, what that means is that um, that it's almost it, it it appears in this form only as a verb and never as a noun. Okay. Um, although in this plural, it, refer, it, it appears a noun, and it's PL, that's the P I mean, means to deceive or to mock. Mock is interesting, right? Deceive makes more sense in our verse, right? When M Moses is saying, don't you dare continue to deceive us and then go back on your word. It would be interesting to imagine if we should be understanding the tone here to be mock. Don't, 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 don't make fun of us. Don't mock us by promising us you're going to do this and taking it back. And I'm not sure which, I'm not sure which one, one I want it to be. But it's interesting because deceive and mock are not the same thing, right? In English, we'd say those are entirely two different words, right? They're, they're, they're both things that you would want, that a scoundrel would do and not a person of integrity, but they're different ways of being a scoundrel. So it's interesting that in biblical Hebrew means both, and we don't know for certain what it means here. Rashi's only comment on this verse will just be not the meaning of the verb hatel, but the form in which it's in and why it's not in a different form. But for that amazing cliffhanger, you're going to have to wait a week. Leonard. Uh, I'm still thinking about the uh, royal we. The what? The royal the ro we? The royal yeah. we. Uh, for those of us who watch Stissel, yeah, there's various places in there where when they're speaking formally, particularly asking somebody for something, well, they'll use the plural the plural you when there's only one person there that they're talking to so that's that's number one in in, in hebrew in Atem? hebrew in hebrew yeah I so don't remember that okay so that's number one and number two i just read that uh the royal we was introduced into english in the 12th century by william longchamp good to know <laughs> william longchamp have a good have a good week everybody bye scott bye bobby bye barbara bye rick see you soon you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from temple beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative judaism in los angeles if you enjoy these podcasts we invite you to write a review on the apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts for more information about temple beth Am, los angeles go to tbala.org 